the first thing is like don't make the perfect the enemy of the good you know and introduce yourself to your elected and get FaceTime with your elected and then you say we need more housing housing is good I like diversity I like integration I like density I'm totally not worried about parking you know and I vote and <laughs> I phone bank you know and yeah. I door knock yeah and and then actually you should vote and door knock then and you should bank. follow through on yeah, some of those things yeah. not just say them yeah yeah Marita matters advocacy thoughtful I get inspired by my colleagues I think the value of Marita is, is the people the value of Marita the value of Marita is immense because Marita matters Welcome, friends, to another edition of Marita Matters, the podcast that lets you listen in on conversations with people who are driving responsible development in Maine. I'm Craig Young, current president of Marita and a partner and broker at the Bolus Company. And joining me today as co-host is none other than... Shannon Richards. She's back. <laughs> Shannon, how are you? I'm great. How are you? As I always like to say, tell us a little bit about you. Well, I'm the vice president of Marita, and I'm in charge of the conference committee, and I get to bring important issues to the stage, and I own a company that deals with real estate design and construction and plants, plant decor. And it's growing. Yes, just like plants. And you have new hair and new eyeglasses that no one else can see but me, but she looks smashing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Semi-annual haircut today. There you go. Well, who do we have here? To oh, before we get into that... Um, I want, okay, we might as well address the elephant in the room, as they say. I was going to wait a moment to introduce Belima, but with us today is uh, Sonia Truss and her daughter, Belima. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Belima, who is the star of the day, yes. is 15 months old and came here to be interviewed. So we're going to talk to Belima a little bit in a little bit. But before we get there... Um, Marita, which stands for Maine Real Estate and Development Association, is Maine's premier 350-member-driven nonprofit real estate association supporting responsible development in Maine. Our members show up and step up to support and promote public policies in real estate that are fair, practical, and predictable. We'd also like to thank our members, and in particular, those that have helped us make our first season so successful, and our gold sponsors, MBT Bank and Landry French Construction. Thank you both for all your support. And now, on with the show. Definitely. So I am going to introduce Sonia, Sonia Trous, uh, who is an activist and from the Bay Area of California. We were lucky enough to have her come all the way to Maine to join us today. She'll tell us a little bit more about why she's here. She runs an organization called Yimby, Yes in My Backyard. It is probably the antithesis to uh, NIMBY, which is no in my backyard. And I'll ask Sonia with that to tell us more about her. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I It was a wonderful trip all the way here, and it's beautiful in, in Portland, so I really appreciate this opportunity. But it's not your first trip to Portland or to Maine. To Maine. Yeah, no, I came when I'm from Philadelphia, so we came a few summers when I was a kid, although I really don't remember where. You know, there was it was a beach. Yes. There was a cabin. We collected uh, mussels, like, right from the ocean, and we made them, so... That sounds yeah. like pretty much everywhere along the coast. Yeah, it could have been anywhere. And uh, I visit. I, we drove through Maine visiting Nova Scotia when I was in my 20s. So oh, nice. This is a really beautiful part of the world, so you guys are really lucky. Thank you. We think yeah. so, too. Yeah, um, welcome back. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of Californians think they live in the most beautiful place, and I'm like, you just haven't traveled that much, you know? <laughs> 
And I, I try to tell people all the time about Maine and Nova Scotia. Anyway, um, yeah, so I run Yes in My Backyard. I started organizing people to say yes to housing in 2014, um, which was apparently very novel. You know, probably listeners have been to public hearings and mostly the only people who show up are like maybe part of the development team or people the who are The council who's required to. Or yeah, yeah. people who are, yep. <laughs> And to have people show up, you know, I was living in Oakland and San Francisco obviously has a housing shortage. It's really had a housing shortage since probably 1980. Mm -hmm. And uh, they export their housing shortage, you know, to all the other. Oh, they expand it out into the suburbs? Well, yeah, because like people's first choice will be to live some in some neighborhood in San Francisco and then they can't afford it, so they'll move to Oakland. And then people who live in Oakland get priced out and they'll move to East Oakland or to mm -hmm. Antioch, you know, farther into uh, East, into California. Um, but also sometimes people will leave and go to Austin or Seattle. Um, I would actually love if there's anybody who's good with data listening to this. If you could try to tell us what percentage of um, residents of the United States have lived in San Francisco, Ooh. I think it's probably a lot. Interesting. Well, my oldest daughter lives in San Francisco, has for a year, year and a half now. And um, housing's opened up a little bit because of COVID. So many people yeah. moved out. So I think she got a little lucky. But people are moving back, so uh, they're looking to move and it's getting more expensive. Yeah. Well, before we get too far into what you're doing today, let's talk about how it all really began. Because as I said earlier, people aren't born to be activists. And uh, I'm sure you're a successful businesswoman and many other things, but activist is certainly right up there. How did it all begin? Uh, and I would say I know you're from Philadelphia, college, and then out to California. How was that path? Um, yeah, I guess some people are born to be activists. Um, I, I had been a, a high school math teacher. So you're a high school teacher, I'm assuming living in Oakland? Yeah, I was living in Oakland. Uh, but you know I'm asking, how old are you? What year is oh, this? Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm 41. But so, then? Oh, um, I moved to the Bay Area in 2011 mm -hmm. when I was 30. Um, so I'm from Philadelphia, and yeah, I lived in Philadelphia until I was 27, and Philadelphia is great. I mean, I really felt like it was probably the best place in the world, or maybe in America, um, but I also sort of wondered if maybe I just thought that because that's where I was from, mm -hmm. and I wanted to move, um, and I also had the idea in my 20s that I wanted to get a PhD in economics, so I actually moved to St. Louis because uh, I got into the, the economics program there. Um, but I did not get a PhD. I like failed out, you know, and I got a master's, which was a real, you know. I don't think that's failing out to yeah. get a master's in economics. <laughs> that's what people, right, that, uh, but it didn't feel like that at the time, yeah. you know. I and you. I think a lot of people have had things not work out, right, yeah. whether it's like a marriage or a business or like a plan to try to get yeah. a PhD. So it was very depressing and disorienting. Um, and it was 2011, right? It was the recession. Mm -hmm. And like looking back, economists will tell us that 2011 was the end of the recession, mm -hmm. but it's always darkest before the dawn. You know, it was a very grim time. Yeah. Um, there were no jobs. There were all these newspaper articles that were like people in this generation, you know, they're never going to get jobs. Like our incomes were always going to be lower than they would have been. And, uh, yeah, it was tough, but the Bay Area still had jobs, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, I was lucky. My dad's cousin lives in El Cerrito and she actually needed help. She had cancer at the time. 
Um, and so I moved in with her to like take care of her while she was doing chemo and, uh, and you know, get a foothold in the Bay Area. And of course, I got a job right away. I actually had a job before I even moved. Oh, like, that's good. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was uh, at a community college teaching math. Mm -hmm. um, so no activism yet. Um, Beyond the typical. Yeah, interest. not really. Honestly, it took me a long time to even register to vote when I moved uh, to the Bay Area. Like I lived there for a few years without even registering to vote. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, except yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I lived. Yeah, I lived with my aunt, and um, it was already like I immediately I was like, oh, this place is like a country club. You know, like either you have to know somebody. Mm -hmm. I had you know, my dad's cousin, uh, or you have to pay a lot of money, right? Like I calculated when I got there that really in order to move to the Bay Area at that time, you should probably have like $10,000 in the bank. Oh, yeah. You know, Easily. none yeah. of this, like, I took a bus with 20 bucks in my pocket and right. like lots of people still try to do that. And it's... That's why there's so many homeless people there. That's actually a great point. You know, like mm -hmm. there's, sorry to go on a tangent, but there's this narrative amongst some in the Bay Area that oh, these people aren't from here, so we shouldn't have to take care of them or whatever, mm -hmm. which I think is very unfair because, honestly, most people in the Bay Area aren't from here, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. everybody came trying to make it. Mm -hmm. And if it works out for you, it works out, and you're like, great, you have this wonderful origin story of I got here on the bus with $20, you know, in my pocket, and I stayed with a friend of a friend. But if that friend of a friend turns out to be a psycho or, you know, you get injured or you lose your job or whatever. I mean, they, and then you're very far from home. You don't know anyone mm -hmm. and you can wind up on the street. So it just feels very unfair because when it works, we're like, wow, Horatio Alger. And when it doesn't work, it's like, get the hell out of here. and We shouldn't have to take care of you. you yeah, know? it's kind of like a life thing, too. So when does YIMBY happen for you? When does the transition from teacher to activist to starting your own company <laughs> happen? Um. I guess that it it's kind of amazing looking back that like I had only been in the Bay Area for three years before I started organizing people. Um, you know, rents were going up so fast because, like I said, we were actually coming out of the recession, even mm -hmm. though at the time, you know, it might not have felt like that. And, you know, rents are kind of always rising in the Bay Area. And so, I mean, every month, you know, like if you looked on Craigslist, like the per room rent was just going up at $100 and people were choking. And there were a lot of people like me, like the recession, just like now, you know, a little bit of a dip in housing prices and demand. And then also um, just the fact that even in a recession, there were still jobs there sort of hoovers people up from all over the country. So there were a lot of people who had come from places like I did, you know, Philadelphia and St. Louis that had struggled with depopulation and declining um, economies for a long time, you know, coming to the Bay Area and then seeing that like at the in the Bay Area, like people's reaction to all the prosperity. I mean, on the one hand, rents were rising, which is a huge problem. And then people's reaction to the prosperity and all the jobs was like jobs are bad. Mm. <laughs> and we wish that these high income earners didn't exist or we wish they would go away or they're ruining this town, you know? Yeah. And it was so insane and appalling, mm -hmm. you know, because like Joan Robinson says, like the only thing worse than being exploited by capitalism is not being exploited by capitalism. Like if you think it's a pain to have rich people around, yeah. you know what? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's no good. Yeah. If you it, don't have any money around, it's even worse. It's even worse. So we really felt like, 
the Bay Area should be taking advantage. Mm -hmm. Like, you have wage earners, great, tax them, build stuff, mm -hmm. build a subway, improve mm -hmm. your libraries, or like, let their high wages fund the construction loans on big, huge buildings. Those buildings will be here for effectively forever. But, but you weren't just saying it. I know a lot of people that talk the talk. You're, you you have a lot of talk going. A lot of people yeah. say, oh, she's just talking. But you weren't just talking. You then got it done. Well, you took the, the next step. Tell us the story of how you came to that realization when you well, were out. You said you were out with a bunch of friends and you were yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, we were like over, you know, over and over. I mean, I, we were kind of complaining to each other, right? Yeah. We'd like rant to each other at the bar and make these beautiful speeches, you know, at a coffee shop. And I was just like, you know what? Like, there's no decision makers here. You know, like, yeah. these are good speeches. And we should go on Thursday afternoon to the planning commission. And maybe it won't make a difference. But it's definitely not making a difference here. You know, like, we make these speeches in public comment. They have to let us talk, right? Yep. San Francisco or California, we have the Brown Act. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they have to let you talk, you know? Mm -hmm. And something actually was kind of important is that, at least in San Francisco... They can't make you say where you live, mm. you know, because of um, like there might be some sort of reaction because it's the most liberal place in America. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're just like they don't want to have any barriers to public mm. comment. And uh, that's that system is like probably not a good system. But whatever the system is, you know, this is actually the Coase theorem. Like you can make a way around it. Yeah. So if there's a lot of public comment, then let's just get public commenters that support housing. And um, yeah, we were crossing municipal boundaries uh, to do it, which was unusual and was a little nerve wracking, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of times people are like, oh, well, if you don't live in that neighborhood, it's none of your business. Mm. But certainly is our business because like I was saying before, uh, you know, San Francisco is exporting its housing shortage. Mm -hmm. You know, people priced out of San Francisco were moving to West Oakland and that's why rents were going up. And I was like, I can't compete with these people. Mm -hmm. You know, I have these jobs like teaching math to young people. It's like not what well, it's not well paid. Like, Do you remember what the first project was that you went and spoke to? Um, no, I there were a number of, you know, we just went like that was kind of our whole thing is like, we just went and said yes to, like, all the projects that were on. Did it make a difference? <laughs> um, um, that first day, I don't know. I mean, the difference it made was that people were like, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know, like, elect the, sorry, there wasn't electeds. It was the planning commission. They were appointed. And then there were staff and there were mm -hmm. other developers. And then, you Because know, now you don't usually have somebody who's, like, a young activist type character showing up and supporting development, right? You just don't. Not in Portland. No. So you have the opposite typically, right? Yeah. So what you guys were doing was really novel because yeah. you were saying like, hey, we need housing. Any right. housing. Any housing. Right. And to come up and be like, this is a good project. Yeah, do that. And then, you know, 45 minutes later for the next project, this one too. Is this housing? It's housing. It's Great. housing. Housing's what we so need. So like you were showing up like, yeah, I can't afford these $2 million <laughs> lofts that you're building in this, but it's good because that's going to allow somebody to move in there. Yeah. And then maybe the house they're leaving, I could afford. Right. Or the house that they don't move into instead. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm like, I know, like, my new neighbors in West Oakland, like, West Oakland was not their first choice. Mm -hmm. Like, their first choice was somewhere closer to where they work. Yeah. It's the dog patch or Potrero or Mission or Noe or, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like, if you're building there, great. It's... Mm -hmm. Soak them up like a sponge so they don't so bother us. <laughs> when, do you, when do you organize? When do you stop just going willy-nilly and you 
decide, you know what, I'm actually organize this into a company and do something with it. How does that happen? Um, well, that is interesting. And, you know, I do think, so listeners, hopefully, we all encounter people who are doing something interesting. And uh, I really want to encourage people to just give those people money. Just PayPal them or give them a 20 or a 50 or whatever you have. Because um, at first, for the first year, that's kind of how it worked. Like, I didn't have any kind of incorporation. Mm-hmm. And so some, you know, there would be people that were like, I like this project. This is cool. You know, how can I help? And of course, number one, come testify. Um, I did learn about a good way to fundraise is to ask somebody to do something that they do not want to do at all. And they'll be like, how about I just give you money instead? And I'll be like, well, okay, you know, we really need your voice on 3 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. And they're like, I will never do that. <laughs> uh, but I'll give you a check for I'll 250 give you a check. Yeah. yeah. So um, that carried me incredibly. Like, I was, you know, first I was doing it while I was working. And my my bosses were like, you seem distracted and, like, you're not invested in this job. And I was like, no, I truly am not. Uh, but then... I sort of raised enough money to be able to live for three months. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, you have to make a plan for longer than three months. So I was like, no, I don't. I'm not doing that. Uh, and so for a year, you know, herky-jerky, like, I was able to kind of go along. Um, and then in late 2015 or mid-2015, I discovered – so there were people, there were foundations, actually, Open Philanthropy mm-hmm. um, and – was the foundation and Jeremy Stoppelman, who's the CEO of Yelp, who were like, form a 501c3, you know, like once you have an incorporation, we'll actually be able to give you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know, because 501c3s are non-political, you know, so that kind of put me off. I was like, I want to be able to endorse candidates and speak on legislation. Mm. And so if you have a 501c3, you can't support candidates at oh, all. Oh, okay, gotcha. And you can do legislation support, but only a certain amount. Through lobbying. Check your hours. Yeah. As long as it's not really lobbying. Um, But then I discovered that in California, we had something called the Housing Accountability Act. And which basically, you guys need this here. And uh, the Marita lobbyist mentioned that there is a bill that does one of the things the Housing Accountability Act does. It does a few things. Mm. One, I mean, the main thing is cities have to follow their own zoning. Mm -hmm. If you propose something, and it meets the criteria at the time you proposed it, they have to approve it. Even if they change the law later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah that's changing. a bill we have before the legislature yeah. now. It hasn't been approved yet, but it's on we the docket that. for discussion and vote. And hopefully what it seems it? to have support, so we'll see what happens. But hopefully that gets passed this year or next, and then we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's not fair to have somebody read the criteria have like an option on land or actually buy land, spend all the money getting it ready to be produced into housing and then have, you know, just a change at the last minute because somebody subjectively doesn't like it, even though the zoning approved, like permits it. Honestly, I'm surprised that's constitutional. You know, it seems it's a little cringe to like bring up the constitution, but I, it is, it is surprising. Uh, yeah, and it seems very simple, right? Yeah. It's the local zoning. The city passed that. Right. They believed in it. We're not even talking about state control. That is local control. Right. They published their zoning. They selected it. And then they don't like it when somebody wants to propose something. So in California, um, you know, cities weren't, like, changing the rules on people. They just were saying no. They mm-hmm. were just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we see that that is what we published, mm-hmm. but we just don't want to do it now, so now we're not... No, we're just not doing it, you know. Or they'll do this thing, you know, you, oh, you're building a large project. Okay, you need a large project authorization, even mm-hmm. when it's zoning compliant. 
So, oh, you don't have, you don't get that. Like, anyway, so all of that stuff, that actually had been illegal for 40 years, mm -hmm. uh, since 1982, around the same time I was born. Mm -hmm. um, but it took, <laughs> you know, a generation for it to really get enforced because those laws were designed thinking that developers were going to sue to enforce their rights, and they do not. Uh, they talk. Yeah. Yeah. No developers like to sue. No. They just walk away because yeah. they've already put all their money into the soft costs to get the ball rolling. Then then all of a sudden they're going to sue the municipality where they want to build. Just right. doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't it doesn't make you seem like a team player. And uh, and it's, a, you know, you're going to go to investors and be like, we have this great project. I just need to like I just need like quarter of a million dollars in two years to sue the city. That's yeah. a junk bond. You know, so then you go in and you would sue. Yeah. Bond. On behalf, you started, Yimby started. Right. On behalf of the consumers, you know, because that's, you know, developers were like, we're a building community. And it's, they're, I mean, yeah, of course, I believe them. Um, but when push comes to shove, they're not going to, like, fight for those future. Yeah, reasons. your whole stance is you weren't advocating necessarily for the developer. Right. And you weren't necessarily opposed to the community. You were... Uh, an activist for housing. the housing, housing user, housing. for the end user. End user, right, the housing consumers. Which is, I think, a really unique perspective Definitely. is you're advocating for the user. Yeah, for the housing consumer, yeah. And um, and it really, you know, I didn't anticipate this. So eventually we got kind of bigger. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. And we started sort of weighing in uh, in Sacramento, you know, the state capital. And we got a very like warm and easy reception and I was kind of surprised and somebody I think it was a staffer worked up there and was like oh well, yeah of course like lawmakers they we were legible to them you know they knew where to slot us yeah they had a long for a long time they would hear from market rate developers mm -hmm. um, affordable housing developers the organized residents of affordable housing realtors of course you know people who facilitate the exchange of property but what was missing was the organized residents of market rate housing. Mm -hmm. And they noticed that that was missing. And so when we showed up and we, I didn't even describe ourselves that way until this staffer pointed out that's what we were doing, but that's what they understood us to be. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were like, we're renters, we support all kinds of housing market rate and, um, you know, affordable. And sub yes, subsidized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, it's all, housing is all affordable. Yeah. So. But you're a full-fledged company. Yeah. I, I don't want people to think it's just Sonia. You oh, have yeah. staff people oh, yeah. and organizers. And how big is your office today? Yeah. How many people Across work? Across the two organizations, because we have a right. C3 and a C4, um, there are 18 employees. Right. Yeah, including a few, like, part-time um, 43 chapters in 19 states. Yes. But you reading. have 18 employees that are helping you get this done. That oh, are, yeah. You're doing lawsuits and, yeah. and pursuing things. Now, I've read that there's at least nine. I'm sure there's more now. But um, you have sued on behalf of, I guess, the end user on nine different projects that a city or a town wanted to decline. Um, but you were able to go in and get them to approve it because it was approvable under yeah. the current zoning. Yeah, yeah. So some, Talk about that process. How does that come about? Some of them are projects. Like in Simi Valley, there was a proposal for um, an old folks home, um, not a nursing home. I discovered you can't just call anything a nursing home. You know, mm. these proprietors were like, it's not a nursing home. I was like, okay, sorry, uh, because it was non-medical. But this. So city, was it just a 55 plus no, facility no. or did it have some care facility? It was care uh, but not nursing home care. But not nursing home care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but the thing was, the city said, "Oh, it's not housing because there was a um, like a, you a know, room rate kitchen." Yeah, exactly. And there's like more like a room rate. 
Um, versus, I don't know. What do well, you mean? What's a roommate? Well, like, you're sharing a kitchen. You're paying right, for the sure. room. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So you have a suite of rooms. Mm-hmm. It, you just don't have a kitchen because there's right. a communal kitchen because the people who live there, they can't cook for themselves anymore. You right. know? So there was, like, an increased level of care. So they were saying that that's not housing, which is bullshit. Crazy. Like, yeah, it was, of course, housing. I mean... These people, people living there? Yeah, they live there. I mean, they moved out of their houses, yeah. right? If it burned down, they would be homeless. The Red Cross would come. You know, they wouldn't have somewhere to go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the city was trying to say it wasn't housing because they didn't each have a kitchen, uh, which is not, yeah, not correct. And so, of course, we sued them. We won at Superior Court. So, what when it happens is that, you know, the, the, the projects will go to the Planning Commission and then to the City Council and when the city council is votes, the developer funding you as well, or is it, or do you choose to not have the developer participate in this lawsuit and funding of it? Um, no, we fundraise from anyone, right? We're we're not. There are R&D groups that are like, we don't accept money from developers. We think that's a mistake because mm-hmm. money is good. Money is good, and it's yeah. like better we have it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, in that case, the developer also had their own lawsuit, uh, so that happens sometimes. Um, sometimes they donate, sometimes they don't. Of course, we love. We love for them to donate. We yeah. love for anyone to donate. But they don't, like, have to. And they're not driving it then. They're not funding it for you to do it, no. No, and they can't, even if they do donate, they're not driving it. That's the point of us doing it separately. And we, you know, we do have, we've, we don't love doing this. We've had times where the developer, like, didn't sue at all um, or didn't get their own lawyer um, or, you know, they wanted to be on our lawsuit. And, like, we don't, Love that because sometimes our interests diverge, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the developer will want to do a deal. Mm-hmm. The city will be like, fine, fine, fine. How about, you know, instead of this big apartment building, you want to do a little apartment building. And so then they'll be like, oh, let's stop, you know? Yeah. And actually that happened in that Simi Valley lawsuit. Like, the, the, it was a husband-wife team. And the wife called me and was like, they're going to do a deal. We should stop our lawsuit. And I was like, no, like, we're about to win, you know? Mm-hmm. We did win. Um but they get they get cold feet sometimes. Anyway, so yeah, we like to have it be actually separate when we can. And I assume before you get to the lawsuit um, situation, you're going in and trying to negotiate with the town and talking about what their zoning is or you know really, what's going on, or do you no, not? No, you just up with show up with a, up with a I mean, suit. By the time I don't know negotiate. That's a that's such a. Such a developer point of view. We would mm-hmm. never negotiate with the town. We we would try to organize. Mm-hmm. So yeah, most of the time, I mean, we send out probably thousands of letters, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, when there's a chapter, they organize. They support mm-hmm. the project. Yeah, so. because it's a symbol. It's showing up with a lawsuit is not. We're not here to negotiate. We're here to make you good on what you've said you were going to do, which is honor your zoning. Right, because a lot of times there. There's nothing to negotiate over. You know, we see what the law is. We see what the the project, right. the proposal is. Mm-hmm. They've had time. I mean, negotiation. To consider their yeah yeah position. Like, there's, I, I guess, in some sense, like negotiation is happening, but we're not really so much of a party to it because our our position is like pretty straightforward. Like, here's the project the developer said they can do. Here's what your zoning allows. Like, this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And now the city. They have our, like, we, we have to get involved during the administrative process. Mm-hmm. You know, we cannot get involved after it's been disapproved. There's, there's, we, we just lose. That's part of You have to exhaust your administrative remedies. So what happens when you win? What happens next? Um, then 
what happens, a lot of times it'll go back to the city council and they'll rehear the project and approve it. Okay. That's or, what the lawsuit... So it's not like the lawsuit gives you money. They're like... Sometimes... No, we do, of course. Yeah. Oh, we wow. get attorney's fees. Yeah, when we win. That's I was going to say, how yeah. do you get paid? Is it also donations or do you charge a fee to, say, a developer or... How do you get paid? Um, yeah, it's donations. We have members. We have, you know, business Member members. Dues, yeah. yeah. So actually... For the combined organizations, a quarter of the budget is uh, is from members, mm-hmm. which is amazing. You know, people just pay like $5 a month or $15 a month because they're members of YIMBY Action. Nice. Um, so that's really, you know, YIMBY Action's money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am so impressed by it. Like, Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love that. I love that we're mo- like, it's such a, it's not mostly, but it's a large proportion. And then, um, you know, foundations, right? Like Open Philanthropy. And there's a few other foundations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Major Gifts Individuals, which is mm-hmm. uh, development speak, you know, fundraising speak for rich people. Yeah. Um, big employers wind up. And then, yeah, with business members, right? Mm-hmm. So the business members are like developers and architects. and uh, you they, can, Could you write a grant because you're, you're a nonprofit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the 501c3, right, the foundations, you know, foundations that are interested in addressing homelessness or inequality or promoting economic growth. That's like open philanthropies, you know, angle, at least initially, is that they were like, wow, people want to move to productive areas. They want to move to where the jobs are. You know, the the jobs, the employers need them. Mm -hmm. What's in the way? Housing. Yeah. So we have like we were just talking to somebody, I think, um, one of the um, ski places we have here, they there's no local housing for their staff, so they're building it themselves. We're seeing other um, employers around here considering that, like, okay, so what are we going to do? We need people to live here. They can't find a place to live. I guess we're going to go build them some housing. How big are these developments when you get involved in a lawsuit, um, even for the, you know, not the nursing home, but the the retirement community. How big are these facilities? I'm assuming you're not suing for a 10-unit apartment building. And are they mostly sort of like 100 units? Or, like, what do you go after? Um, Yeah, we don't have a a size limit. Um, We had a project in in Berkeley that was just three homes. Because Um, the precedence. They're suing for the idea, right? yeah, Yeah, it's the idea. You know, and it's very much... I, I think of us somewhat unglamorously as um, like uh, like meter maids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the meter maid doesn't yeah. know how long you're planning on being there, right? Is this like only someone, I'm catching them and they're just here a half hour? Are they going to be here eight hours? Right. Like, It's like, read the sign, you know? We're just like tapping the sign constantly. Right. That's funny. I love so that. So any, any size. Yeah. And you said you, you don't negotiate, but when we were talking before, you brought up things like um, you like bonus density. If people are bringing in, say, um, low-income housing or handicapped housing or elderly housing, um, there's inclusionary zoning. How do those ideas and, and terms work into what you folks do? Are you just advocating for that? Or are do you have a certain you, position? Or like, how are you working that into your work? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so we do, we have a policy director, um, kind of a recent, more recent development. Uh, and so he's involved very much with state politics in California. We're trying to figure out how to best get involved, um, in state politics in other places. Like we have chapters and I mean, so far, look, we have a chapter in Montana Mm -hmm. and in Arizona, 
um, we have a partner in um, Texas, uh, and all of those have been involved in in attempts, you know, for state legislation. And it didn't work out in Arizona, but it did work out in Montana and in Texas. It's like I got a text yesterday, so things are happening. Um, the activists, uh, they they don't normally, and we don't normally sponsor legislation, um, but we organize you know, our members basically to have like targeted letter writing campaigns at for the right people at the right time. You know, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to come before the local governance committee and we have three people that are for it and then two that aren't sure. So let's try to figure out how many people we have in those districts uh, for the representatives that aren't sure. And know? I assume you're for bonus density. Yeah, no, density bonus, it's one of those like Rube Goldberg policies that frustrates everyone a little bit and so like you know it'll be successful (laughs) and do you see much inclusionary zoning in california or the other states is that common yeah i mean people they love it in california and it's spreading everywhere Um, but we have it here in portland only i think right now and it was uh 10 of the units had to be at 100 or yeah, 100% of the AMI, and now they've gone to 25% of the units have to be at 80% of the AMI, AMI. and it, it, right, frankly, it just doesn't work. The numbers just don't pencil, particularly for new construction. It works a little bit for historical rehab, but there's only so many of those buildings around. Do you find the same in California? Yeah, it's a real kind of cat and mouse, and actually inclusionary, so like the cities will pass an inclusionary, and then the state density bonus will get more generous. You know, and so you have a statewide density bonus. Maine yeah, does not. Yeah, that. It well, seems now like a you good... do. Well, it's a, it's about to be. Yeah. If they don't change it first. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's. Well, I think the key here is that we don't have a lot of alignment. There's Maine is predominantly a rural community, and Portland's very different. And I think there's an activist group here who formed, got a lot of um, referendums passed in Portland. And they're well-meaning, but it didn't. It's producing very difficult yeah. situations. And the, like he said, the um, the requirements for the area median income requirements are just they're not penciling out. So it's actually, you know, stopping the development of housing and therefore driving costs up. Yeah. No, it's terrible. I mean, it can be terrible. It's a tax on housing. Yeah. It's a tax on housing. So, and if you want housing, why mm-hmm. are you taxing it? So it's mm-hmm. a nice idea to do the. Mixed income, of course, but who's going to pay for it, right? Right. So. And you mentioned you have density bonus or bonus density at the state level. How do you how do you get these things passed at a state level? I think we Maine has found it difficult. You, I know you, you've also mentioned take away some of this control from the local level. Um, they can pick any town, but you know they may be all for affordable housing until it's in their backyard, right? And then they're opposed to it in their yard. And why can't it just go to the town next door? How do you get a, how do you deal with that? Is it just That's, organizing people? You gotta organize and um, getting big employers involved. I mean, mm. that was one of the things I didn't. I don't know. I didn't expect anything, right? But yeah, when I first started, I was amazed that big employer, like really, like developers were. A lot of people will be like, "Well, obviously, I guess developers fund you, right?" Mm-hmm. But developers are half and half on us because the developers that realize what we're doing, well. Developers that are successful in the status quo are successful in the status quo. Right. You know? So they don't really have a need to be activi- to have an activist involved. Right. And like they, a lot of developers value add is their relationships with the local governments. Mm. And so if we're coming in and we're being like, this is going to be standardized, 
you know, the rules will be clear. They have to follow them. Like, they don't necessarily want that, you in know? Some case, yeah, in some cases. <laughs> well, in California, I mean, I, you know, in all honesty, California has big companies. I mean, they have yeah. Google and right. everybody else. I mean, you have Silicon Valley there, and there's a lot of money and wealth in San Francisco, but just outside of San Francisco. Those companies, they can't hire. Apple can't hire a thousand people right. if they can't house them somewhere. Right. And Interestingly, I can see... Maine has the exact opposite. We are like a community of small businesses. Right. Everybody here owns their own business and has like 20 employees and not everybody, but well, it's that's very a... common. That should be good. That's very fertile ground for organizing then. I mean, But tough to raise a lot of money. Yeah. Tough to raise a lot of money, but maybe you don't need a lot of money if you have a lot of people, you know, calling in, mm. frankly. Mm. I mean, organizing... It's not, it's one of those jobs that people don't even realize is a job. I mean. Let's move into that segment yeah. of the discussion. So I, one of the things I want us to get into is how can you help us as a community <laughs> organize, become activists? People are going to hear this and say, that just sounds great, but how do you do it? How do we do it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is like, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good, you know, and introduce yourself to your elected and get FaceTime with your elected. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Yeah. Like, good enough, let's get rolling. Yeah, and yeah. like, don't, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, well, if I don't, if I don't know everything about the issue, then probably I shouldn't email. Like, yeah. they think they're gonna have to have this like great three paragraph email for their city council. No, you do not. Right. You do not. And go to public comment because you will see, you'll go and you'll be nervous. Am I gonna sound smart? Okay, you'll see the other people there. They do not sound smart, you know? <laughs> so it's it's very inspiring to hear, yeah. like, what are the messages your electives are getting now? Because yeah. you'll be like, oh, okay, I will not be the dumbest thing they've heard today. Yeah. I promise you're not the dumbest thing. Yeah, I love how today. you're, you're put, positioning that. I've had to go to a lot because of my work. I've had to go to a lot of meetings like this. And you're right. Like, honestly, what you start to realize is, like, Oh, I'm a part of the community too. Yes. I am just a part of the community and my voice has validity and I can say something and, and that's, you know, that's all I need to do. Yeah. And like the facts and figures, we, we want to believe that our decision makers are looking at facts and figures, but they are not. They yeah, are not. They're moms and dads. And I was gonna say, what yeah. do you find is effective when you go and speak? Are you bringing the numbers, the facts? Is it the people? What, what's effective yeah. when you go to... I mean, city council. you need that stuff, you know, you want to print out some Brookings Institution thing or whatever, you have your little white paper, they see it's there, mm -hmm. they probably don't read it. What's really effective is being like, hi, my name is whatever, I live in XYZ neighborhood, I have a dog, or I have a kid, or I love to whatever, mm -hmm. I play pinochle, I don't know. Yeah. You talk about yourself, and then you say, we need more housing, housing is good. I like diversity, I like integration, I like density, I'm totally not worried about parking, you know, and I vote, and <laughs> I phone bank, you know, and yeah. I door knock. Yeah. And and then actually you should vote and door knock. Then and you should bank. follow through on yeah, some of those things, yeah. not just say them. Yeah. Yeah. But even just even just saying them, the person will be like, oh, this person knows that yeah. elections, you know, <laughs> what you do in an election, like so that's really what it is. Like, and it, it's very powerful. And and if somebody's running and you think they're good, then yeah, show up a couple times because if they'll you, listen to you. Oh my God. And they'll recognize you. Like not a lot of people door knock, mm -hmm. you know, so you can get, it's actually sort of funny. You know, we've, I have encountered, there was, 
there's these residents of an apartment building in, in San Francisco, and they were so pissed because they were rich, and there was a proposal, or it, it wasn't just a proposal, it was happening, you know, for some low-income housing near them. And um, they <laughs> they were like, they, they kind of bought the sauce. They were like, we're rich. Like, we thought rich people, like, controlled politics. What? Right? So why is this happening, you know? And I was, I was in a position to be able to sort of have this conversation. And I was like, well, do you door knock? Do you donate? Do you, you know, phone bank? Do you, like, know who your elected representative is? And they were like, no, what? And I was like, it's not just being rich, you know? Like, you actually have to do things. Wow. Uh, and they had it. And uh, so, yeah, writing checks is good. But, yeah, all that door knocking and that stuff is huge. Yeah, especially involved. Those, I feel like yeah. Maine's like an island in that way. When you are when you live in an island, it's kind of like, doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. It's like, okay, we're flooding. Grab a yeah. shovel, you know? And Maine's a lot like that where we look around the room and it's like, well, I might not agree with you on everything, but I'm still going to work with you because you're my neighbor. We're going to get this done. So I think that it is, we have a better, I think, chance of finding common ground and finding solutions just based on like our, the, the general like main attitude. Dude, I hope so. I, I hope so. And I hope that doesn't turn into um, like a hardening, you know, to, I, like you really can leverage that and be like, let's take care of our own and make sure there's enough housing for every, everyone. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I'm realizing it is a little strange that San Francisco is so fluid. People are mm -hmm. constantly coming, constantly going. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot more, like, nativism there. Yeah, that's what, you know what, that that's like sophomoric. It's like, I was here, I'm a, I'm not the freshman. Yeah. I'm the sophomore. Yeah, you're They're right. They're harder on the freshman than the seniors. That's right. the seniors are like, I don't care. Right. Right? Like, you're not, you're not going to offend me. You're a freshman. So it's probably That's because right. of that. They're throwing elbows because they're like, hey, I staked the claim. It was hard. Yeah. You mentioned your um, operation is in roughly 19 states in some capacity. Are there particular states that you work with that have done some really good things that would be great for us to look at? Oh, yeah. Good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, um, what has that <laughs> That's a no? Everything. <laughs> uh, no. So Oregon actually has a pretty good land use regime. Um, even they've had that for a little while. So even before, I don't know, even oh yeah, as a state, as a the state. state of Oregon. Yeah. They have an interesting, um, um, like state regulation of cities. We have this thing in, in California also. Um, but I think their system is a little better where they wrote basically like require cities to plan for growth. Huh. Um, and actually New Jersey and but it wasn't because of something that was passed. It was the Mount Mount Laurel decision. What's that? Uh, this was a a, some, a couple of court cases in the 1970s were based on their state constitution, arguing that like every city had to you know plan for for housing for like every type of person. Hmm. Um, and they actually got it like on economic grounds, you know, saying that that they that cities can't have economic segregation. You mm -hmm. know that you have to have housing uh, for that's affordable to like every kind of person that might live there. Hmm. Um, and so they have a, a nonprofit called Fair Share Housing that's existed. You know, the lawyers that won uh, the Mount Laurel, you know, cases, they went to found a nonprofit to enforce them and it still exists. 
Sounds like you've used a lot of existing laws on the books um, that no one else was really utilizing yeah. or had forgotten about to your advantage. Yes. Is that yes? And you found that it sounds like in other states, maybe it's even something here in Maine that people ought to be looking at. What do we have for laws that you could actually that you use have, yes. that you already have, which is really smart. Um, yes. Really interesting, I think. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So what else we got? <laughs> well, we, we need to wrap up. Uh, I think this has been great. I think it's just great to hear how we can get more housing. As was said the other day, we need all sorts of housing in Maine. Uh, we need affordable housing. We need elderly housing. We need regular housing. We need expensive housing. We need housing. Yeah. And if you can help us spur that, I think that would be just great. Um, and um, Yeah, you know. join, you know, gimbyaction.org slash join, mm -hmm. and you'll get our all our emails. Five bucks a month. Yeah, it is, right. It's almost nothing. Um, and there's a volunteer membership, too. So if you don't even, and, you know, one of the ways to volunteer is to write an email to your elected being like, I love housing, right? So mm -hmm. it's very easy kind of volunteering. We say all the time, if you write a letter or call your elected officials, it means a lot. Because a yeah. lot of people aren't calling. They are not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a hundred calls can sway a decision. They don't need thousands of people no. because there aren't that many people typically calling. Yeah. So to actually write a letter or call yeah. your... Yeah, and it's usually the negative that stands out, right? Like exactly. the people who are yeah. against something are always going to be louder and you're going to hear, you know, that's what they hear from typically. Right. And you don't even need a hundred. And this is what was something that was so encouraging and a revelation when I started was that I realized, for especially for particular housing projects, um, a lot of times if we didn't show up or if I didn't show up, mm -hmm. there would have been literally no one in favor. And I would go to meetings where it would be like me speaking in favor, maybe one or two other people, you know, mm -hmm. very small numbers of people. And then there would be like six people against. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that there were a couple people from the public saying this is a good idea allowed the planning commissioners to say, well, we've heard from both sides. You know, we can see that there are community members for and against. Mm -hmm. And we decided that, yes, the housing's good, right? Mm -hmm. In a situation where if there had been literally no one, then they would have continued the project, hoping that someone, because it just gives, like, the planning commissioners, a lot of them actually do want to follow the law, you know? Yeah. Like, the planning staff, they write this zoning. They want this thing. They go to school because they, like, want to bring communities, you know, into yeah. existence. And it's very frustrating for them when you just have six naysayers and then they don't feel like they have the, like, license, you know, yeah. the support to say yes. Yeah, there's no leverage there. Right. Yeah. So it really, you know, some people are only, you know, nothing uh, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, right? Some people are only motivated when um, they feel like there's a lot of other people there, which yeah. is fine. That's normal. Luckily, I'm mostly motivated when I feel like no one else is going to do it. Mm. Um, that's what stand, makes you stand out. And that's yeah. why I was the person that was like, no one's doing this, so I will. Yeah. And frankly, now that like all this stuff exists, I'm like, you guys are fine. You're really fine. You <laughs> I'm know? going to Maine. Like, I'm going to go home right. somebody in Maine. Well, we're lucky to have you, so <laughs> thanks for coming. Are you going to ask her? The yeah, so I like to end all of our podcasts with these sort of fun five questions or so. Uh, you're a little unique because you don't know... Maine or certainly Portland that well, but you spent a few days here. Yes. So in your brief time here, do you have a place or two that you've been to or seen that uh, you've just really enjoyed? I feel like 
I've enjoyed everywhere. Like, I walked along Congress Street, oh, and it was great. I love that. I went to a vintage store. Yep. And actually, there's a lot of vintage stores. So that doesn't help anyone at all. Like, right. it could have been any number of them. But uh, I bought a dress and a bathing suit. And nice. we went to the art museum. Um, We're very proud of that. Yeah. For a city our size to have a museum like that. It's really, it's beautiful. Yeah. And Maine is a foodie state, and Portland is probably the foodie capital of the state. Uh, have you had much good food here, and is there anything that sticks out? Are you a, did you try lobster, or what did you, what have you um, had? We had some oysters, right? Yep. The night before last, oh. Uh, yeah, at Scales. In the evening? Yeah, yeah Scales. Yeah, Scales. Oh, and it was so beautiful walking to Scales. It started to rain a little bit yep. on the way there, and it was dusk, mm -hmm. so you could smell that rain spell they mm -hmm. called Petrichor or something. Mm -hmm. and I love it. the boats were there. I was telling Blima, you know, I was like, this is, I was like, Blima, do you know what picturesque means? <laughs> now she this does. This is it. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, we're here. You know, Commercial Street didn't exist. Um, they they made that with Phil. Mm, oh. That whole end. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a, a favorite book you recommend that's on either activism or housing, or someone that you like to follow? Oh, that's a good question. What's a, a, a book about? Okay. Well, there's a book about you. I listened yeah. to it. <laughs> Golden what is Gates. It? Golden, Golden Gates. Gates. Yep. Yeah. So and that's yeah. that was um, narrated when I, I listened to it because I don't have time to read. I have to listen while I'm like driving or something. Um, was that narrated by the author? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know either. I don't know. I, I read it. He sounded really young. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. I, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's about housing. I mean, that's yeah. it is actually a pretty good book. Yeah. And lastly, you run what seems like... Um, a good organization, a big organization, you're getting a lot of things done. You have two children, one of which is on your lap right now. <laughs> She's 15 months old and quiet at the moment. What's it like being a mom in business? Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> she looks at me. She knows I have three kids. What's it like? Uh. Um, I appreciate, I, I feel very lucky and privileged because I do drag my kids around with me and people accommodate it, you know? And I know that's not something that a lot of people have, you know, like my mom was a nurse, like she wouldn't have Mine been able too. To you said that us. yesterday. My yeah. mom was an ER nurse. She couldn't take me to work. No. I take my kids to work all the time. Yeah. Because I have, I have that ability. Yeah. I, I just want to say I applaud you for doing it. It's not always easy. We had a moment here today with Blima. <laughs> She's quiet now, but we had a moment. But, you know, we all worked through it and yeah. we got through the podcast and I think it's great. So I just want to commend you on- Thank you. Getting yes. it all done in a way that most of us knucklehead men don't understand. So <laughs> well, you really, know there's data you. that supports that this kind of stuff so makes them higher earners. It makes them healthier. They rely less on healthcare um, long term, and so there's a lot of empirical data that supports early childhood care like this will support the whole community better. Listen, yeah, I mean, listeners, like, please accommodate the moms in your life, you know, encourage you to bring their kids and normalize it because they're not that disruptive necessarily. If, if they're used to it. Yeah. As I said, we just worked through it. It wasn't that yeah. hard. So I'd like to end with a comment you made. I just love this saying, don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. And so I think, as you would say, people get out there. Yeah. Um, don't wait it. until it's too late. Yeah. Any final words? No, thanks for having me. And Portland, you have a great thing going on. Thank you. Shannon? No, I'm good. Thank you. Well, thanks, it's always Greg. great. And uh, thank you. And thank you for coming thanks, to Maine. Sonia. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah.
Thank you to all our members, and thank you to those that have helped make this season of Merida Matters possible with their sponsorship, including sponsors NBT Bank and Landry French. Also, we have to thank the wonderful and amazing Shelley Clark, the heart of Merida, and our executive director. Thanks, everyone. Until next time, be well.